On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, I'm joined by Lee Branscom of the Witch Carolina podcast, and he is also a contributor at HoopsProspects.com. We're going to talk about the rookies that he has hit on, the ones that he has missed on. We're going to get into what he looks for in a top prospect. We're going to talk about who the top prospects are on this upcoming draft, players that you shouldn't buy the hype on, and who is flying under the radar. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking the Game show here on the Nothing But That channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie. Normally, I am joined by my co-host, Austin Carr. He is spending time with family. I gave him the night night off because, you know, I'm a good person. But uh, I'm not alone tonight, though, because on this episode of the Breaking the Game show, we are going to be joined by Lee Branscombe of the Witch Carolina podcast, who is an expert when it comes to all things NBA draft. And we're going to be focusing on the upcoming draft class. So before we do all of that, Lee, just want to introduce you, man. How you doing? Oh, I, I'm doing great, man. I mean, it's a it's a it's a Sunday night breaking the game. So like, I feel like I'm back home. Honestly, it's uh like you said, draft season is kind of slowly but surely um, coming towards us. So anytime I get a chance to chop it up with you and talk about some prospects. I'm happy to do so. And um, man, it looks like you guys have grown a ton um, in the past year. So just wanted to shout you and Austin out for that. And, uh, you know, couldn't happen to uh, to better people. So y'all, y'all keep doing what you're doing and I'll come around anytime you'll have me. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for those kind words, Lee. And uh, I'd like to, you know, thank you because we've had incredible guests like you on through our duration of our podcast and that has helped elevate us to where we are you know we're still growing still climbing but you know the show is not successful with without people such as yourself being gracious enough to come on the show and you know share your knowledge with us hey i'll I'll come spout my opinions anytime brother (laughs) (laughs) right on well that's why i have you on here today for man so we're going to be talking about the nba draft and get into that but before we do um just why don't you share a little bit with the listeners about what you do at which carolina Oh yeah, sure. So uh, they can follow me on Twitter at which Carolina, I would say uh, primarily we do two things. Um, Charlotte Hornets heavy podcast. I do a Charlotte Hornets update podcast about every like third or fourth game, kind of depending on how the schedule falls. So if you're a Charlotte Hornets fan, obviously make sure you're tuning into that. And then we go, we go really hard NBA draft. So that's kind of our two main avenues Charlotte Hornets deep dive NBA draft deep dive and then I also do some uh, some writing some scouting reports some articles on the NBA draft at hoopsprospects.com which is a pretty awesome NBA draft site and like an NBA draft tool just for your own research too if you're like me there's a lot of guys like us Stephen that just enjoy the draft and yes, uh, if you just want to kind of go on a deep dive read about some players or, or look at uh, the draft board over uh, hoops prospects that's a good place to do it as well. Absolutely. And, you know, the last time Lee, we had you on, we were talking about our drafts and you had guys that you were high on. I, you know, shared with you some of the guys that I was high on coming into the season. And 
I'd like to say that both of us had some pretty good hits, but you know, a couple of them, not so much. So, um, before we get going on for the upcoming draft class, I just want to go over a couple of guys that, you know, maybe that you were high on coming into this draft that, um, they've proved you right. And maybe a couple of guys that just for the time being haven't done so, but you know, there's still plenty of time left for your opinion to, you know, come into fruition with those guys. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just like any other guy on Twitter. I'll take some early victory laps here or there, but <laughs> you know, that's that's the that's the the fun part of the draft is it's so speculative. We're really not going to know, you know, besides some of like the early outliers that you get an idea of are going to be pretty darn good right away. We're not going to know on a lot of these guys for like 2 to 5 years. So, um yeah, but you know, if, if one of your if one of your guys that you likes has a nice like eighteen point night performance as a rookie, you gotta tweet it out, right? That's you have it, to. That's what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, um, I remember discussing with with you on on a few guys, and I let my opinion leak out on guys like uh, Cassius Winston. I had him incredibly high on my board. Now he still has a chance. He's kind of buried behind the bench, behind a really deep backcourt in, yep. in Washington, but um. I still have hope for him, but uh, so Lee, who are who's one guy just off the top that jumps out that maybe you were really high on that some people might have questioned you on, but he's looking like he's going to do a lot of great things in the NBA. Yeah, I mean the easy one off the bat that I don't think I have to rehash a ton because I was so kind of vocal about this guy was Tyrese Halliburton, who I know mm-hmm. was a guy that you loved as well. Um, I mean, if you look at his rookie numbers right now. Halliburton shooting 47% from the field, 41% from three, which people were kind of skeptical because of the funky release. Mm -hmm. That never, that was never an issue for me. He's shooting 84% from the free throw line. He's got a 3.5 to one assist to turnover ratio. He's averaging 12 points a game. He started 15 games and played 52, I believe. So, I mean, just an immediate impact um, two way, you know, he's averaging over a steal a game as well in his rookie year. You know, I mean, Everything that I talked about with you about him, the instincts, uh, the otherworldly kind of basketball feel that he has mixed with the playmaking, creation and shooting. It was kind of a no brainer for me. I, I thought it was he was obviously a top five prospect in this class, and that's bared out so far. Yeah, 100 percent. And he was a guy Austin and I both love him, too. Yeah. And we've we've talked with a number uh, a number of other draft analysts and things like that. And one thing that we all share with Tyrese Halliburton is he feels like one of these culture players like he comes in. He's going to as a youngster, he's going to come in. He's going to work hard. He's going to make the right plays. And veterans, when they're surrounded by younger players that do that, they feel like they have to step their game up, too, because they can't get schooled by this pup. Right. Cool. So pairing him in the backcourt with De'Aaron Fox, that's been fun. And they're kind of one of these, it feels like the WAC conference with the Sacramento Kings, right? Like they're, they play later than what a lot of people want to stay up and watch. They don't win a lot of games per se, but it's no fault of Halliburton and his young start, right, Lee? Well, yeah. And I think that was the other thing that I really liked about Halliburton and that we'll probably talk about with some players in this prospect class. I think it's really important to have particularly at the guard position to be able to eat, to be able to play off of a superstar like De'Aaron Fox because Halliburton can space the floor as a shooter. And then to also be able to kind of handle the ball as a primary creator in a second unit. So when you look for those guys that can space the floor alongside a star, but can also 
for lack of a better word, in a pinch, run an offense Mm -hmm. and organize offense and run a pick and roll. That's super valuable in today's NBA. And I think people kind of sometimes underestimate what a positive quality that is to be able to do a little bit of both. Yeah, he's extremely versatile. One player that he kind of reminds me of immediately is Shea Gilgis Alexander, Mm -hmm. a guy who can run the one, two, maybe even a little bit of three because of his length, his strength, and his versatility. He can do a lot of great things on both sides of the ball. And we're seeing a little bit of that this season already. Even SGA in his rookie year, a lot of the same qualities and a lot of the same you know, characteristics that he has on the court, you can see that with Tyrese Halliburton. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, he, he, he reminds – yeah, there's definitely some SGA in there. I've said this a couple times prior to the draft. Like, I think him and LaMelo were actually more similar than people were willing to admit. Obviously, LaMelo – is kind of in a different league from a um, obviously from like a recognition standpoint, but but also a little bit as kind of a creative finisher around the basket and stuff. But mm-hmm. just as like a jumbo sized playmaker that can also space the floor. Halliburton's a little bit farther along as a shooter than Lello, but but not not by a massive margin. So yeah, they're just it's rare. I said I actually tweeted this the other day. To get two guys in the same class that are such visionary passers as Ball and Halliburton, in my opinion, they would be the two best passers in this class as well. Yeah, I think that a lot of people would say, especially now hindsight being that 2020, you know, looking at what they're actually doing this season, I think a lot of people would agree with you, Lee. So I want to shift gears now. What's one prospect that you had a certain, you know, um, kind of projection on that it hasn't borne out. And again, it's still young, but it's still fun to kind of point out, like maybe you thought this player was going to be some type of way immediately and he hasn't really done that yet. Yeah, so a little bit of kind of the opposite, I guess, a player that I was far, far too low on. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be loud about my victories, but I'm I, I'm going to – I hope that I have earned the trust of my audience by also being fairly vocal when I'm wrong because – if you can't reflect on yourself as an evaluator, you're never going to improve, right? 100%. Um, Isaiah Stewart, man. I, I've just so far, I've been dead wrong on him. He was a second round prospect for me. Um, I, I think I even said this maybe on y'all's podcast. Uh, it was like, I don't believe in Isaiah Stewart because I've got concerns about him finishing around the basket. I don't really see the skill translating to the NBA level. Um, all those things defensively, how's he going to be able to switch that stuff? But I said, if he proves me wrong, it's going to be because he plays so damn hard and his Mm -hmm. shoes are on fire and his effort, and he's just going to will himself into being like a rotational NBA player. And it looks like that is playing out specifically in Detroit right now. I mean, granted, his stats are still fairly pedestrian, but for a rookie to make an impact, he's certainly doing that. I mean, 7.7 rebounds in a block a game, finishing around 50% around the basket. Um, Has had seven starts now, kind of late in the season. Obviously, Detroit's bad. Obviously, he still has flaws in his game. But look, I'll be the first one to admit, it looks like I was far too low on Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, I shared that same sentiment too. I had him as an early second round pick. And I, we did have that conversation on this show, Lee. Now that you mentioned it, I remember it, you know, very specifically because I kind of parroted everything that you said. And I mean, he's not playing. Yes, Detroit's not, you know, a stalwart in the Eastern Conference right now. But that front court is 
fairly deep and it's fairly yeah. veteran too. You know, you got Plumley, you got Okafor, you got Grant, you got a number of other players that have established themselves as NBA players. And here's rookie Isaiah Stewart that people kind of had their questions on and it looks like he's doing fairly well there. I think, you know, it's interesting that they have him and Sadiq Bey. Sadiq yep. Bey was another player that I was extremely high on. I couldn't for the life of me figure out how he fell all the way down to Detroit. And he's he's playing well. He's a, he's a guy that I feel like has hit on, but kind of like Halliburton, he's playing in Detroit. They're not winning a lot of games, so he's not going to get a lot of that spotlight. But uh, he's a player that I, I feel like I've hit on so far in this season. Yeah, let's talk about Sadiq Bey. He was actually on my list. I mean, uh, I had him 10th on my board. I was right there with you. I think people just saw kind of a big plodding wing because that's what his body kind of tells you, Mm -hmm. but that's not the way he moved. I mean, this is a guy who guarded Devon Dotson, Miles Powell, uh, Marcus Howard. I mean, he got every single tough guard assignment by Jay Wright last year. He was a capital E elite shooter, 44% from the, from the three at, at Villanova and a little bit better, like not a great passer, but a good offensive connector. And what I mean by that is like extra pass or pass, you know, the hockey assist term, like the pass leading to the pass or just a nice entry pass to the baseline, things like that go kind of unnoticed because he didn't have massive assist numbers, but he's a good ball mover. And, you know, he's shooting 38% from the three right now in six attempts a game. He started uh, 42 games for the Pistons this year as a rookie. (laughs) Yeah, again, they're bad, but he is shooting an efficient three-point shot on big volume. And, you know, before he got moved, he had kind of taken minutes from Sivy Mikhailuk in the rotation, who I think is a pretty decent, like, rotational wing. It's just impressive what Sadiq Bey has been able to do there in Detroit early in his career. And, you know, another one we were similar on, I was super high on Bay. I preferred him to some of the other wings in the class, like Okoro and Vassal. That was a minority opinion. We still got a long way to go, but that doesn't look so crazy anymore. No, it doesn't. You had him 10th. I had him 14th. I have my board over here right now. And some of the things that I put on his strengths was that he has great range and that he's unselfish. You know, he didn't have those high assist numbers. Like you said, in Villanova, he was asked to be when the ball touches hands to shoot. You know, if you felt like he if he had that open that open enough of a look that he could take advantage of. But the ball never really stuck to his hands. He's a guy that you knew is going to shoot more times than not when it hit his hands. But you never felt like he was a black hole, if that makes totally. sense. No, that's that's exactly right. Like, yes, he was a willing shooter and he should be. But you're right in the fact that he was a pretty good, like, quick decision maker. It was either, all right, I'm going to launch this, like, semi-contested or wide open three, or I'm going to keep moving the ball. So to your point, I think he's showing that um, at the NBA level now. And, and people were honestly just a little too low on him. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where if you're a corner three-point shooter, the pass that you're going to make rarely is going to lead to the next pass because of where you're standing. Usually, it's that pass or even the one after that where you're going to connect for an assist. So, you know, assists can be kind of misleading for college athletes, I feel like, a lot. You know, three assists in college would probably feel like, you know, six or seven in the NBA, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, all right, who's another guy that you um, felt like you – that you didn't evaluate as well as what they're showing right now. Yeah. Um, Xavier Tillman. I mean, yeah. I had him, 
I had him in the range in which he was drafted. So from that standpoint, I had him about right pegged, but I think he's outplaying his draft position right now. I think he's probably more of a top 35, you know, or even 30 player in this, in this draft class right now, maybe even higher than that. I had him at 41. Um, I was concerned that he was a non-shooter and he's not shooting the ball great right now, but he does so much other stuff on the floor. Mm -hmm. I mean, No, he's not a great athlete. No, he doesn't shoot it that well. But he's incredible in the short roll passing situation, which we all knew. He's incredibly versatile as a post defender. I think that's probably, if I had to put a finger on it, what I missed a little bit was kind of, even though he lacks the like traditional rim protection, he does it in so many other ways. Nobody, this gets overused so, so much. the Draymond Green comparison, right? Yeah. To any undersized four that's like a halfway decent basketball player. It's like, oh, he's Draymond Green. But especially if we went to Michigan State. Of course. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But he does have that switchability, particularly in the front court. He's just a rock in there. He's unmovable. um, And he's just a smart, high IQ offensive mover on, on the offensive end. So, uh, I pegged him about right from a draft position standpoint, but I think he's outplaying that. I should have probably had him as a late first round pit, you know? Yeah, I, I didn't even have him in my second round. And this is something right. that I have to learn from. You know, last season was my first year really looking at film, really trying to project out to that next level. But, you know, some of the things that he's hitting on in the pros right now were the strengths that I had. I put interior defense and rebounding were his strengths in college. Um, I was a little concerned about his range and his size. Those were kind of my weaker weaker points. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have range and you're undersized in the NBA, almost like look at what Chuck Hayes was able to do in Houston for a lot of the years that he was there, right? (laughs) So a throwback name. If you don't know him, go look him up. But I was kind of worried, okay, maybe is he a a Chuck Hayes in today's NBA? And he kind of obviously has proven me wrong so far in his career. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, he's playing for a pretty good team too. So that's another feather in his cap. Like he's cracked the rotation of a fringe playoff team in the West and he's actually uh, on certain nights, he's helping them win games. So um, that's a testament to him uh, and his high IQ, the way he feels and thinks the game is super impressive. Um, So yeah, that's, that's definitely one on the miss list for me so far. All right. So who's the last hit that you have? It's Emmanuel quickly, man. You know, oh, yeah, (laughs) I mean, this was my guy from the get go. Um, Oh, so far for the new for the fourth place in the East, New York Knicks. Who knew? Uh, Right. Exactly. I know. I I don't know if uh, El Presidente is listening, but I know he's a happy man right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So quickly, 11 points per game, two rebounds, two assists, shooting 38 percent from three on pretty good volume, almost five attempts per game. Something a lot of people missed. He's shooting 89% from the free throw line. He shot yeah. like 93% from the free throw line at Kentucky his sophomore year. Yep. He gets to the line more than people realize. He's a, again, just an elite, elite shooter. A guy that is not just a standstill shooter. He's so, so good at his defender turns and ball watches. He's relocating for an open jumper. In transition, three on two, he's relocating for an open jumper. He's always moving. That's something I loved about him at Kentucky. Better defender than people realize. Turned oh, yeah. into the 
turned into one of the premier wing defenders in the SEC last season. Um, I think part of it was obviously he played alongside Tyrese Maxey. He played alongside Ashton Hagens and Nick Richards. I was adamant that he was the best prospect of the four Kentucky players. So far, again, it's an early victory lap, but right now that's bared out. He's a he's in a massive role for a team that's red hot right now and is maybe going to have home court advantage in the playoffs in the first round. With fans in attendance, that's right. nuts, right? So where did you have uh, quickly on your board, do you remember? Right. 19th and I was I was still too low and I was I was probably as high as anybody I should have had him in the lottery well right I had him 20th on my board and a lot of people were like you're crazy for having him that high and I mean I'm an Arkansas fan so I saw him more times than I care to you know talk (laughs) about but you know one of his strengths that I have listed were scoring and even passing and he's showing that in New York too um the biggest weakness or concern that I had which is why I believe I had him so low I was like, could he be a, a lead ball handler? Yep. Because we saw him in a three-guard rotation where he wasn't the guy bringing the ball up the court as often. It was predominantly Maxi, and then it would be Hagens, and then yep. quickly would bring the ball up the court. So usually when you see a guard not bringing the ball up the floor, you kind of worry about his handle a little bit. That hasn't been the case in New York. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's the one point that I neglected to bring up. People thought that he didn't have any on-the-ball playmaking juice, and it's because of the reasons you said. But Mm -hmm. if you watched him enough, particularly two examples, Florida game when Hagens was injured, he handled the ball a ton and looked really good doing it. Second half of the LSU game, one of the two other guards fouled out. I don't remember which one it was, but he took that game over late in the game on the ball, and that's – particularly when I the light kind of came on for me and I'm like, oh, this guy has on the ball playmaking juice. He just isn't showing it because he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ashton Hagens obviously is going to struggle to be a long-term NBA player because he can't shoot, but he was a fantastic college playmaker. And we all know how special Maxi can be with the ball. Quickly was such – the gap between those guys as shooters and quickly as shooters was such a massive gap. He needed to fill that role for them. That's what he did at Kentucky. But if if you caught him on the right nights, you saw it. And that's when that's when the light came on for me. And I was like, oh, man, this guy. And, and it's kind of like you're saying, like, I, I was irrationally high on him compared to the consensus. <laughs> but I shouldn't have let that – like, I should have had him as a top 15 player because he is. Yeah, I mean, I look at some of the guys I have above him. You know, the guy immediately ahead of him is Josh Green. You know, I mm. and you know, maybe – Maybe that still bears right, out. It's early. still young, but I look at him. I had uh, Onyeko Kongwu. Uh, albums is ridiculously high on Nico Mannion as, as well. So, um, yep. you know, learn. I'm learning my lessons here. So, who's your last uh, miss you got there, Lee? My last miss here is oh yeah, Jaden McDaniel's again. A guy who you were you were big on him, right? Let me tell you where I had him. I had Jaden McDaniel's fifth on my board. That's yeah. I mean, he, you know, I don't know if he's a top five guy in this class, but man, you, you are much closer to the range where he should have been drafted than where he was drafted. Again, it's kind of similar to Tillman. I had him as a late first round prospect. That's where he was drafted, but he's certainly outplaying that right now. And again, sound like a broken record. He's playing for one of the worst teams in the NBA and he's not efficient yet, but if you watch him on the basketball floor, and the talent just oozes out, right? Mm-hmm. I think what I missed with him, 
I knew he was a high risk, high reward kind of profile. Obviously, I mean, there was a point in his high school class where he was the number one player in the country at, at one point. Um, he, he, I think he was miserable at Washington. Like some people yeah. have brought that up. And I actually went back and watched a couple of his games at Washington just to get a feel for like, cause I missed a little bit on him and Stewart. Right. So I'm like, what am I, what did I miss there? He did. He didn't like, when you see him with the Timberwolves, he's playing like with some joy and with some gumption yeah. and confidence. And at Washington, he kind of just looked dejected um, and obviously went through a couple issues there where he was benched and, and suspended and stuff. So um, sometimes it's just, you need a better situation and, Nobody could ever deny his talent, and that's what's showing through, particularly as a rim protector. I mean, the guy's the guy is impressive vertically at the rim, blocking shots. So, kudos to you for on that one. I had him in the right range, but he's outplaying it by far. Yeah, so I had him fifth. Um, some of the strengths that I saw were, you know, obviously his shot. He's got one of the prettiest shooting strokes in this class. His vision, I think, is highly was highly underrated in college too. Kind of like what we were talking about with Sadiq Bay, but I think with a little bit more to it, uh, yep. I feel like he does have some playmaking ability in his game. And then the shot blocking in college was phenomenal too. He seems like he's going to be a really good help rotation yes. defender. I don't think that he's going to be like a lock you up style guy. Like um, I think a Robert Covington is a pretty mm. adequate comp defensively for him where Covington isn't necessarily the best man-to-man defender. But if he's in that kind of that safety position on defense, he can be a real big difference maker for you on that end of the ball. Yeah, to- totally agree with that. And, you know, I mean, Timberwolves, a little bit up and down, I guess, but to nab Anthony Edwards, who's who's starting to play pretty well, and, and to and to kind of steal McDaniels late in the draft, I mean, obviously they've got plenty of issues in Minnesota, but that is something to kind of – put a feather in your cap and say, all right, like at least we have a, a young core with those two moving forward that uh, that kind of fit the the modern NBA and where the game is going. So you, you got to like that if you're a Timberwolves fan. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, Lee, what we've been discussing is guys that we hit and what we missed on. So now I want to kind of pick your brain a little bit as to when you're evaluating talent, like who – like, like when you sit down and you watch these players, how do you particular? What do you look for to see how they translate to that next level? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough question. It's kind of like a philosophical draft question, which I love those type of conversations. I, I think maybe the easiest way to answer it is, I kind of try to envision what archetype and what role they can fill at the next level, and. That depends on the position, right? But if I'm if I'm looking at a guard, um, just as like kind of a, a rotational player guard, maybe that you're evaluating. Like I look for those two things that I talked about earlier: off ball equity. Can you space the floor? Because we all know, like, there's such a small percentage of players that can actually be true stars. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the other 95 percent of NBA players you have to be able to play alongside of a star. And that's why guys like Emmanuel Quickly and Peyton Pritchard, in yeah. my opinion, are employable because they can space the floor next to those supernovas to give them their room to do their thing. But then in against other benches, when they're playing against other secondary rotational bench units, they can put the ball in their hands and they can make plays for others too. So – 
that's just like one angle of kind of evaluating guards. Can they have off ball equity and can they make a play in a pinch? Um, and then with the bigs, you're just looking for like archetypes, right? Are they, uh, can they be a true rim protector at the NBA level? Uh, can they be a true floor spacer, floor stretcher at the NBA level? Um, you know, where are their strengths? Where are their weakness? All that kind of like bread and butter stuff. Um, and then when you're looking at like the top of the top, that's when I get real partial towards high, high IQ, high instincts, um, spidey sense level, you know, ability on both ends to think the game. That's why ball and Halliburton, I was so high on both of them. Both of them were top five guys for me. Mm-hmm. Um, size mixed with skill mixed with, mixed with instincts like to be that top top level you, you almost have to have that you know yeah that makes a lot of sense and a lot of things that i look for you put there too you know if you don't have the ball in the hands how, could you still be a good player and i know that sounds like a cliche like coach talk right you know if you don't have the ball in the hands not, what can you it's do true because at the NBA level, like you see it all the time. You see these college guards who are fantastic players, but they're high usage college guards. And if they're not Jalen Suggs or if they're not uh, John ja Morant, they're mm-hmm. not going to be handed the ball in the NBA. It's just not the way it works. You're going to the most competitive league on the earth with the biggest alpha competitive talented guys on the planet. You're going to have to fit in where you get in. And if you're not efficient and you don't have the ball in your hands, how are you going to contribute, right? No, 100%. And then on the defensive side of the ball, can you at least play good help team defense? You know, a lot in the NBA, we're moving away from, you know, this is your one guy that you cover all game long. You know, it's switch heavy. You have to be able to make good reads on the help side of the ball. The, The way that players today pass the ball, you yep. have to expect, you know, skip passes, corner to corner passes, even, yep. you know, post to the exterior, you know, exterior to the interior. Can you cut a, Can you anticipate a pass from the high post to the opposite block? Things like that. You have to be able to at least, you know, be able to make a play two steps away from the ball. And that's what I look for, too. Totally. And that and that plays into kind of that feel and instincts portion that it's hard, right? Because you can't really like analytically explain instincts. You can can look at steal numbers and assist numbers and get a feel for like how effective a player is. But some of that is just being able to identify it on the eye test, which is so hard to, it's so subjective, right? But you kind of got to have a feel for it, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. We could have a whole another conversation, you know, on do you just look with the eyes? Do you look at the stats? Do you do a combination of everything? You know, if you're a former player, do you do you feel a different way as, as yep. opposed to someone who's just a person on the outside looking in? So, Lee, with the the prospects that we have coming in, there's a, a a whole number of players that I'm sure that everyone has their eyes on. Yeah, and, and they're considered these top prospects. Who are your guys that are just like can't miss? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean. I'll explain it this way right now. And I, I, you know, we were talking off air, like I still have a ton of work to do on this class. I'm still consuming. I'm still fortifying ranges. I don't really have a solid big board yet with numbers, but what I do have right now, in my opinion, is a top four. I think Mm -hmm. Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green are, are pretty obviously in a tier of their own. Um, 
So that's kind of leaving out a guy that most people are including in a top five and Jonathan Kaminga. And I'm sure we'll talk about him at some point. Sure. To me at this point right now, I think those four are on a level by themselves. And another probably minority opinion, I don't have Cade Cunningham as my clear cut runaway number one, like everyone else does. Well, you're on the right podcast because I don't necessarily look at him as like the Kyrie Irving of this draft. You know what I mean? Like there's certain this draft class, and it's not because I don't think that he's good, you know, and I feel like that's important in today's culture. You know, we have to give him his flowers too. Like, of course, obviously going to be a great player. I just think that as good as he is, other players are also great. If that makes sense. No, that, that's where I'm at with it. I mean, look, I am again, he's clearly in my top four. He may even end up being my number one player. Like that's sure. very, very possible. I just, haven't declared that yet. And I, I I don't see it as like a non-conversation as as probably the consensus on NBA Draft Twitter does right now. There's there's kind of this overarching opinion of like Cade's number one no matter what. I don't quite see it like that yet. I don't see him as like this generational prospect. I think he's a fantastic prospect. He may still end up being number one on my board. I'm just not quite there with it yet. Um I love Jalen Green, just a rocket with the ball in his hands. The best athlete in this class, I think, by far. Um, does need to clean up his handle for sure. I think most uh, like priority-wise, he needs to get a little bit tighter of a handle, a little bit better of a decision maker. He shot about 35 36% from three in the G League over, I want to say, like 11 or 12 games, which is, which mm-hmm. is solid. Um, yeah. I like the mechanics. He reads screens pretty well as an off-ball shot hunter. And, man, I mean, you just talk about a guy with big-time explosiveness. And, you know, I, that's it. he's going to be he's going to be in a conversation for me as, as one of these top two or three guys, like just like I said earlier. Yeah, I like him a lot, too. And I think what a lot of people don't talk about is how the potential that he has to be great defensively in the totally. NBA because of that athleticism paired with his instincts. I think that he could be a very talented defensive player in the NBA as well. I'm with you. And he's got decent size too. Yeah. I mean, six, four, um, probably going to be able like, to me, he looks like a guy who's going to be able to put on muscle. He's not, yeah. you know, 19 years old. Um, he's a buck 70 from what I have listed here. Yep. So. And, and you're right. He does show flashes of pretty advanced defensive anticipation. He gets in passing lanes. He's got quick hands. Um, so I think that's a good point. Um, and that's, I mean, that's where I'm at with, with Jalen Suggs, who is another player that I absolutely adore in this class. Mm-hmm. Obviously the intangibles are great and cute. Like he's a big time winner. He's just been an athlete all his life. He says all the right things like, oh, that's important. But then you like whittle down into the core and it's like, oh, this is also just kind of a completely elite prospect, two-way guard. The shooting is probably the biggest concern, but I'm not like overly uh, worried about that. I don't think – the thing is like if you're going to talk about his shooting, it's like – are players going to be able to go under the screen on him in the NBA? And I don't think that's going to be the case. Maybe initially, but by year two, year three, this guy's going to be shooting 38% from three, in my opinion. And when that happens, you know, that that's the last concern, in my opinion, with Suggs. He's 
super athlete, creative finisher, awesome passer, incredible on ball and team defender. He's just he's just the whole package. I think he's a star. I think so as well. And what cracks me up about the whole shooting thing is like he shot 33 percent in in mm-hmm. school, which isn't mm-hmm. bad. So, I mean, every third shot, you know, he's making it, which is not a bad clip. Uh, he's a 75 percent free throw shooter. So that I look at the free throw shooting. I'm sure that you kind of look at that, too, is like, yep. can you build on to that? And so what I'm encouraged with with Suggs is I don't look at him as he's a finished product. He's elite coming in, but he can also improve. So when you can get an elite prospect and build on top of that and turn him into possibly a 36, 37% three-point shooter, it's insane. Because look at John Morant. John Morant's not necessarily the best three-point shooter, but you can't leave him alone. And also that passing ability, you can't leave him alone either because he's going to be able to pick you apart as a playmaker as well. And Suggs, man, I mean, he just... He bodies people. I mean, the mm-hmm. guy is just so physically adept. And he's that's a football player. Yeah, right. And <laughs> did, did you know? Did you know he played football, Steven? Right. <laughs> uh, I watched March Madness. I talk yeah. about it every game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like a drinking game. Anytime they they mention Suggs, <laughs> the quarterback, take a shot. Um, yeah, he's, he, and, and that was something like in the national championship game, he didn't necessarily have like an amazing game. But he was getting to his spots against those Baylor guards basically anytime he wanted. And the way he can kind of just assert his will on the game physically, I think is only going to continue to improve as well as he like just matures, you know? Yeah, 100%. I'm with you on that. And so you brought up Evan Mobley and you left out Jonathan Kaminga. But you you left him out, but also mentioned him too. Um, I like Kaminga a little bit more than Mobley mm-hmm. because I think his position is more important. And what we're seeing now in the NBA, though, is it feels like every team is like they just need a big man. Like right. this team is one big man away, and so maybe we're starting to get that pendulum to swing back the other direction. Where oh, you know, big men have been important important this whole time. But Mobley feels like he's one of these more contemporary bigs, right? Where he can stretch the floor, he can put the mm-hmm. ball on the ground a little bit and make plays as well. So why are you so high on Mobley? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair point because you're right. There is kind of this, um, you know, mantra of, you know, why would you take a big early when it seems like all the important players right now are either the two-way star wing archetype or the on the ball uh, offensive engine archetype. And, and I think that's a very fair conversation to have. I guess I just see Mobley a little bit elevated to, I mean, for example, I think he is a better big in quotations prospect than any of the post players in last year's prospect class, but by a, by a decent margin, like, and you mentioned the you mentioned the skill, which is very very true, which is why he's so intriguing. I think because he can stretch the floor, he can put the ball on the floor, he shows the high low passing, the dump offs, the skips. He's, his eyes are always moving when he has the ball in the post. Where I think he brings kind of that elevated uh, sense is I think he can be a special defensive player too. I think he can. I think he can sit down and move with wings and guards. I think he's switchable and versatile. I think he can rim protect. And we all know, like, the special athlete archetype of rim protection and floor stretching is really, really valuable. Um, so 
I don't necessarily disagree with the with the theory that you should probably swing on wings and star guards more than bigs. I just guess that I think that Evan Mobley is more than just a run-of-the-mill top five big prospect. I think he's like maybe a once every five to ten year big prospect, which gives him a little bit more of a boost in my opinion. And then I'll turn it over to you after this. Kaminga, fascinating prospect. Probably will still easily be in my top ten. I just think he's one notch below those four guys I talked about earlier. Defensively, he's very Jekyll and Hyde, which is which is typical for a 19-year-old player. He'll make a he'll make a defensive play that leaves your jaw on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then the next four to five possessions are you you wonder if he knows what sport he's playing. Um, <laughs> and then obviously the shooting is a concern right now. I think he shot 25% from three in the G in the G League bubble and like 35% maybe from the field. He's just not efficient right now, but he does show some really fascinating and intriguing ability to put the ball on the floor at his size and at his position. And you're right. If he hits, that archetype is everything that everyone wants right now. So, man, he's tantalizing. So so he's tough to pass up. I just think he's a tick below those four guys that I mentioned earlier. And that's fair. I again, I just think it's the positional aspect that I yeah. see yeah. from him as well. And you know, just real quick on Mobley, I, I was kind of uncertain. Maybe I had him too low, but when I saw him, and I'm not saying the game in particular, but strictly the matchup, him against Timmy, like yeah. that was that was a tough game for him, man. Like yeah, that was. was that was very tough. And when I looked at that, I was like, this is kind of like what I why I wouldn't take him if I had you know, a, a top five pick is specifically that matchup, not how the game went as a whole, because he's only one man. Sure. But right when I saw him against Timmy, I was like, yeah, because if man. Timmy can work him like that, then, <laughs> you know, ooh, I don't know. Timmy's a unique guy, though, man. He is. Like, God, he is just you talk. You, you talk about like the grizzled veteran getting one over on the young guy right there. And that is exact. I mean, you're not wrong. Like Timmy abused him in multiple ways. Um so I, I do see your point there. I just think it's like Timmy's just like a 45-year-old man mentally <laughs> and Mobley's like still a 17-year-old. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, for real. And and that's where I'm at with that is like how much emphasis do I put on that one? Because we can look at any prospect in one matchup. I mean, even Suggs had had a matchup or two where he was like, oh. ooh, maybe, maybe I should put him lower. But I don't know. Maybe it's my thing with big men in, in the draft. I don't know. It's probably, it's probably a me thing. So, Lee, we're at the point now where I want to ask you, um, who's a prospect that is getting a lot of love? And I'm not asking you to hate on someone or to say that they don't have talent, but who's probably getting a little, um, you know, their attention is getting a little maybe too much saturated. Yeah, well, we already talked about Kaminga, and I shared my thoughts there. One other guy that I would bring up is a player that I really, really like and think has a chance – to stick in the NBA, but I think might be a bit overhyped right now, or maybe the consensus is just slightly too high on him. And that's uh, Ayo Domusu. I always oh, mess up. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the, obviously the, the All-American point guard from Illinois, fantastic player, doesn't necessarily do anything great, but also doesn't have any super glaring weaknesses. I think we're, again, kind of going back to some of our discussion points earlier – 
I don't necessarily see him as a guy that NBA teams are going to hand the ball to as a young player. And he, I also have a little bit of concerns with like his separation ability. He's strong and he's powerful and he kind of wills himself into positions, but I don't know that he really has this like extra gear or burst that you kind of need in the NBA to truly separate from defenders. So I'm not saying he's not going to stick in the NBA. Like he's probably fairly easily like a decent backup point guard. Mm-hmm. I guess that just my point here is more of a back end first round, early second round guy to me. Whereas I do see him kind of like in the twenties and even the in the lottery range sometimes. And yeah. even, yeah, even like late lottery. Um, so it's not that I don't like him. It's just that I'm a little lower. Yeah. And that's fair. And that's kind of where I am on him too. Um, I already talked about my guy, Evan Mobley. Like I'm seeing him getting like potential second, third pick yep. to me. I'm more like in that, you know, five to six, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but when we're talking that high exactly. in the draft, that's a, that's a pretty substantial drop. Totally. Also Lee, um, I want to get your takes on some of your under the, the, I feel like this is where I love talking with you more because everyone knows the main guys, right? Like everyone yep. knows who's going to go like top five, top 10. Um, and I love your eye for talent and you've, uh, you've turned me on to some guys that I probably on my own wouldn't have gravitated towards, you know, individually. So who are some of your under the radar guys? Yeah, I've got a couple good ones. I think, um, a guy that I've started kind of beating the Twitter drum on, uh, like I did with quickly and Pritchard and a couple of these guys last year is miles McBride from West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, talk about a guy who has in spades what i talked about earlier which is he can shoot it he can space the floor but he ran west virginia to a t this year west virginia um kind of uncharacteristically was a really good offensive team this year and not a yeah. great defensive team which was weird right very weird um, but uh because that's just not really the way old huggy bear likes to likes to roll them out there but that's <laughs> never the team they had this year and a lot of that was because of Miles McBride. He's a fantastic playmaker, super high assist to turnover ratio with the ball always in his hands. Talk about a guy who's an underrated athlete, in my opinion. Specifically, one play that I was, or a sequence that I watched the other day against Oklahoma State. Late in the first half, he picks the ball from Cade Cunningham, goes down and has like a pretty athletic left hand finish over top of him. Then the very next play, as the basically as the half time is running out, he's he anticipates a passing lane, steals it down the floor, right hand tomahawk dunk over Cade Cunningham. If the guy has a runway, he can really get up. He's six two, six three point guard, um, built like a brick house, fantastic on the ball defender, shoots it, creates mid range pull ups, start and stop, herky jerky. He's just got a little bit of everything. He's got a little bit of everything. He's like borderline a top 15 guy for me right now. And I see him mostly back half of the first round, early second round, way too low, way too low. This guy's really good, and he's going to impact the game as a rookie, in my opinion. There we go. All right, I'm going to throw a name at you that I'm just spitting over this guy. I don't know where I have him in the draft yet, but I'm drafting him. Uh, Santi Aldama out of Loyola. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't. I need, I'm writing this down, Steven. All right, so check my man out. He's 6'11", 215. He put up 21 and 10, two assists. 
He shot 50% from the floor, 34% from deep. He's only a 69% free throw shooter. I love the prospect of him in the NBA as kind of like a stretch big who can give you minutes at the three and the four, maybe, or four and the five, maybe a little bit of minutes at the three. He's, he's young. He's a sophomore. He's a guy that I look at and I'm just like, there's got to be a, a place in the NBA for for a player like him. I don't Give even know if he gets one more time. Uh, Santi Aldama, S A N T I A L D A M A. I'm okay. really smitten with this guy. He's out of Loyola, so that's probably why not a lot of people know about him. I love that, dude. I love that. That's literally a name I haven't even heard yet. So that's like music to my ears. I want to go check him out. Yeah, I, yeah. I've talked to him about a couple people, and. Uh, Again, I'm kind of getting that same like some people have said like, yeah, they've heard them, but haven't really investigated a lot. Like I'm, I'm looking at my board right now. We I have 200 prospects that are yep. that are on my board that I'm sifting through right now. And he's just one guy that I keep coming back to. And it's it might be that, you know, Cassius Winston <laughs> type hey, player to hey. me, but I love him. You know, just if you get a moment, watch his game. I think that you'll like him a lot, man. No, I will absolutely go check him out. Have, have, do you know if there's been any word on like whether he's testing the waters or anything yet? I've been looking. It's just, I mean, <laughs> he played at Loyola. I'll actually right. Google now and that I'm on here. Yeah, but, um, that would be interesting because, like you said, if he's only a sophomore, um, you know, he may potentially could come back. But uh, I mean, shoot, six eleven and can shoot it. That's uh, that's always going to raise some eyebrows, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So. Um, he's one guy that I just, I wanted to prick your brain because maybe, oh, yep. So he's entering the draft as of April 14th. There you go. Yeah, yep. I got it. I have to check him out now. I mean, and, and I guess this guy was a little more higher profile because he played in the Pac-12, but Kylor Kelly was a guy I was really high on last year. He's with okay. the, uh, he's with the Spurs G League team right now. And he was a guy that nobody was even considering. So I am, uh like very willing to go look at guys that people aren't talking about. Cause that's where you can like, you know, that's where you can deliver some alpha on finding some guys that nobody's even heard of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm kind of smitten on him because I mean, he's just got so much to his game, man, that I'm just like all over. I'll um, check him out this week and, and, and share some thoughts with you. Okay. That would be great, man. Yeah. I would love to hear your feedback on that just to see if I'm out to launch on this guy or if you think that there's something to him. What do you think of a uh, Jeremiah um, Robinson Earl? What do you think of him? So he, it, so like, obviously you, you sent me some notes prior to the pod. I have him written down in my underrated list. I wasn't going to bring him up just because I have a couple, like one other guy that I'm super high on, but he's firmly in my underrated list. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, sophomore from Villanova. The thing with him, I think that people are um, understandably criticizing. He didn't shoot the ball great this year, but I do think he will shoot at the NBA level. 76% from the line, so there's something there. There you go. Exactly. The mechanics are solid. He's a confident shooter. It just didn't go in like it should have this year. I'm not saying it's not a concern by any means. I just kind of believe in the optimism on that, on that uh, spectrum. Something to build on. Yes. And what people are missing on him, for some reason, there's kind of like this narrative that he's not that great of a defender. I think he's actually a pretty damn versatile, switchable, movable defender. Um, and obviously his kind of like three, four hybrid archetype is super in vogue right now. He can oh, pass. Yeah. He's tough as hell. He's a decent athlete. Um, 
I think he's another guy, guy that people are going to look at and say, eh, we should have had him a bit higher. He's firmly a first-round guy for me. Yeah, absolutely. He kind of gives me Paul Reed vibes from the last season. And mm, yeah. We still got to wait for him to catch on. So. Yeah, better better offensive player than Reed, but, um, yeah. but versatile in the same way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, Lee, we're, um, you, you said you had one more guy that you wanted to mention. I got one more guy, Sandro Mamukilashvili. There's your guy. I was waiting for that name. Yeah, yeah you knew I was going to bring him up. <laughs> 6'11", like point forward, swing forward. Not even sure how you can really characterize this guy. Obviously, last year. He's a year, hooper. He's just a hooper. That's a great way of putting it. Obviously, last year he had to play off of Miles Powell. Miles Powell was the featured guy. This year, Sandro was the featured guy. Stretches the floor. Solid athlete, strong as hell, can pass it, can shoot it, can dribble it. Sure, he's got some defensive concerns, but he's a little bit more movable than people think. Sure. I think he's a late first round pick, and sometimes he's not even on people's boards. So, like, I'm the Sandro train starts and ends right here, brother. <laughs> choo choo. There you go. Yeah, I know that you're a big uh, Sandro guy. Every time. I knew when he was playing when whenever I was on Twitter because you were you were pumping out something. <laughs> there you go. But Lee, man, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing some of these underrated prospects. I'm glad I was able to give you one that you got to go back and, I love and look that. at now. No, that's that's what we're here for, man. Share some thoughts, share some ideas. I'll be going to check out old Santee this week and I'll DM you some thoughts and as always, man, thank you so much for having me up and uh, send my best to old Austin. I'm glad he got a night to chill with the family, though. That's important. It is. It's very important. And, uh, you know, his uh, his family was away for a couple of days and, you know, he tried to act tough about it the first day. But, you know, <laughs> just like any of us, man, like when the family is gone for a little bit, you're just like, I can only have so much fun by myself for so long. And then exactly. you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm married for a reason. Right. So <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah, that's important stuff. But um, Lee, before we let you go, man, and again, just thank you so much for being on. Why don't you uh, tell the people um, where they can find you and maybe some stuff that you have going on in the works? Yeah, tw- good old Twitter.com, of course, at Witch Carolina. Um, and yeah, I-, I am going pretty hard on the NBA draft stuff on the podcast right now. So check us out, you know, on any normal digital streaming platform you find us. Um Definitely. I'm kind of doing it in uh, tiers of three prospects at a time. So I'll have another episode coming out this week discussing three prospects. I have some articles coming out for hoops prospects in the next uh, month or so. And uh, yeah, man, we'll just be going hard NBA draft and hard Charlotte Hornets uh, throughout the playoffs. And of course, leading up to uh, everybody's favorite day of the year, NBA draft. Yeah. And congrats on the win today. By the time people are listening to this, you're Hornets just beat the snot out of the Celtics, man. Oh, dude, we've been struggling so badly offensively, obviously, since Hayward, Monk, and Ball have been out. And it was like all of those struggles and frustrations just were completely the opposite today. They scored 120 points. They shot 50% from the field. Graham goes assists. nuts. Rozier goes nuts. Bridges has been incredible. They've been PJ Washington. Watch. PJ was awesome today. He's improved a ton as a rim protector. Um, they, they are treading water until the Calvary comes back, but they're doing a good job considering the personnel that's available. Yeah, and Borrego, we need to start hearing his name. I'm not saying he has to win it, but we got to start hearing his name in the Coach of the Year conversation. Yeah, I know Tibbs is in there too, of course, but man, JB, I think we got a gym with him. 
Yeah, he's uh finally starting to show a little bit of that prowess that we were that we had heard about for several seasons now. But you know, you need sticks to rub together to make a fire, right? It's not the X's and O's; it's the Jimmys and Joes, Stephen. <laughs> there you go. I love that <laughs> saying. That's that's gold from from the mouth of Lee there. But um, uh, again, Lee, thank you so much for your time. Um, and as for everyone who's listening and viewing now, thank you so much for um you know being a part of the show. It means the world to us. Um, be sure to catch us every Monday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific here on the Nothing Net channel on Dash Radio. And uh, please go to offtheballnetwork.com. There I have my top 25 players under the age of 25. Lee, I don't know if you saw the list that Ooh. the other four-letter network put out, but uh, <laughs> it was um, pretty horrid. So we have a couple on our website right now and uh, put a lot of time, effort, and energy in it. And I'm working on an article now just – Talking about how strange this season was, you know, a lot of people talk about how weird last season was. I feel like in a lot of ways, this season has kind of beat that one. Do you do you feel that way at all? Yeah, I mean, obviously the bubble was like its own one of a kind experience. But I think you're right in the fact that, you know, we've had some postponed and canceled games and obviously like no fans in the stadium some places, some fans in the stadium other places. It, it has been a really, really weird year. It's been a shortened year and there's been so many injuries. So I totally see how you could have a, a really interesting article there. I'll be looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty extensive one right now. I'm working on it and I don't know if I should just even publish my own book at this point. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty <laughs> extensive. I'm thinking about it. I'm kicking the idea around, but um, again, uh, Lee, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for everyone who's uh, been a part of this. Um, on behalf of the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio, on behalf of Off The Ball Network, we've been the Break In The Game Show. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody.